Chapter Fifty of the Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Headless Horseman: A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter Fifty: A Conflict with Coyotes. The purple shadows of a Texan twilight were descending upon the earth when the wounded man whose toilsome journey through the chaparral has been recorded arrived upon the banks of the streamlet after quenching his thirst to a surfeit he stretched himself along the grass his thoughts relieved from the terrible strain so long and continuously acting upon them his limb for the time pained him but little and his spirit was too much worn to be keenly apprehensive as to the future he only desired repose and the cool evening breeze sighing through the feathery fronds of the acacias favored his chances of obtaining it the vultures had dispersed to their roosts in the thicket and no longer disturbed by their bodding presence he soon after fell asleep his slumber was of short continence the pain of his wounds once more returning awoke him it was this and not the cry of the coyote that kept him from sleeping throughout the remainder of the night little did he regard the sneaking wolf of the prairies a true jackal that attacks but the dead the living only when dying he did not believe that he was dying it was a long dismal night to the sufferer it seemed as if day would never dawn the light came at length but revealed nothing to cheer him along with it came the birds and the beasts went not away over him in the shine of another sun the vultures once more extended their shadowy wings around him he heard the howl bark of the coyote in a hundred hideous repetitions crawling down to the stream he once more quenched his thirst he now hungered and looked round for something to eat a pecan tree stood near there were nuts upon its branches within six feet of the ground he was able to reach the pecan upon his hands and knees though the effort caused agony with his crutch he succeeded in detaching some of the nuts and on these broke his fast what was the next step to be taken to stir away from the spot was simply impossible the slightest movement gave him pain at the same time assuring him of his utter inability to go anywhere he was still uncertain as to the nature of the injuries he had sustained more especially that in his leg which was so swollen that he could not well examine it he supposed it to be either a fracture of the kneecap or a dislocation of the joint in either case it might be days before he could use the limb and what meanwhile was he to do he had but little expectation of any one coming that way he had shouted himself hoarse and though at intervals he still continued to send forth a feeble cry it was but the intermittent effort of hope struggling against despair there was no alternative but stay where he was and satisfied of this he stretched himself along the sward with the resolve to be as patient as possible it required all the stoicism of his nature to bear up against the acute agony he was enduring nor did he endure it altogether in silence at intervals it elicited a groan engrossed by his sufferings he was for a while unconscious of what was going on around him still above him wheeled the black birds but he had become accustomed to their presence and no longer regarded it not even when at intervals some of them swooped so near that he could hear the weep of their wings close to his ears ha what is that that sound of different import 
It resembled the pattering of the little feet upon the sandy channel of the stream, accompanied by quick breathings as of animal in a state of excitement. He looked around for an explanation. Only the coyotes was his reflection, on seeing a score of these animals fitting to and fro, skulking along both banks of the stream and squatting upon the grass. Hither, though he had felt no fear, only contempt for these cowardly creatures, but his sentiments underwent a change on his noticing their looks and attitudes. The former were fierce, the latter earnest and threatening. Clearly did the coyotes mean mischief. He now remembered, having heard, that these animals ordinarily, innocuous from sheer cowardice, will attack man when disabled beyond the capability of defending himself, especially will they do so when stimulated by the smell of blood. He had flowed freely, and from many veins punctured by the spines of the cactus. His garments were saturated with it, still but half dry. On the sultry atmosphere it was sending forth its peculiar odor. The coyotes could not help scenting it. Was it this that was stirring them to such excited action, apparently making them mad? Whether or not he no longer doubted that it was their intention to attack him. He had no weapon but a bowie knife which fortunately had kept its place in his belt. His rifle and pistols attached to the saddle had been carried off by his horse. He drew the knife, and resting upon his right knee, prepared to defend himself. He did not perform the action a second too soon. Emboldened by having been so long left to make their menaces unmolested, excited to courage by the smell of blood, stronger as they drew nearer, stimulated by their fierce natural appetites, the wolves had by this time reached the turning point of their determination, which was to spring forward upon the wounded man. They did so, half a dozen of them simultaneously, fastening their teeth upon his arms, limbs, and body, as they made their impetuous onset. With a vigorous effort he shook them off, striking out with his knife. One or two were gashed by the shining blade, and went howling away but a fresh band had by this time entered into the fray, others coming up, still the assailants counted a score. The conflict became desperate, deadly. Several of the animals were slain, but the faint of their fallen comrades did not deter the survivors from continuing the strife. On the contrary, it but matted them the more. The struggle became more and more confused, the coyotes crowding over one another to lay hold of the victim. The knife was wielded at random, the arm wielding it every moment, becoming weaker, and striking with less fatal effect. The disabled man was soon further disabled. He felt fear for his life. No wonder, death was staring him in the face. At this crisis, a cry escaped his lips. Strange it was not one of terror, but joy. And stranger still that, on hearing it, the coyotes for an instant desisted from their attack. There was a suspension of the strife, a short interval of silence. It was not the cry of their victim that had caused it but that which has elicited the exclamation. There was the sound of a horse's hoofs going at a gallop, followed by the loud baying of a hound. The wounded man continued to exclaim, in shouts, calling for help. The horse appeared to be close by. A man upon his back could not fail to hear them. But there was no response. The horse or horseman had passed on. The hoof strokes became less distinct. Despair once more returned to the antagonist of the coyotes. At the same time, his skulking assailants felt renewal of their courage and hastened to renew the conflict. Once more it condemned, and was soon raging fiercely as before, the wretched man believing himself doomed and only continuing the strife through sheer desperation. 
Once more was it interrupted, this time by an intruder whose presence inspired him with fresh courage and hope. If the horseman had proved indifferent to his calls for help, not so the hound, a grand creature of the staghound species of its rarest and finest breed, was seen approaching the spot, uttering a deep sonorous bay, as with impetuous bound it broke through the bushes. A friend! Thank heaven! A friend! The bang seized, as the hound cleared the salvage of the chaparral, and rushed open-mouthed among the cowed coyotes, already retreating at his approach. One was instantly seized between the huge jaws, jerked upward from the earth, shaken as if it had been only a rat, and let go again to writhe over the ground with a shattered spine. Another was served in a similar manner, but ere a third could be attacked, the terrified survivors dropped their tails to the sward and went yelping away, one and all retreating once they had come into the silent solitudes of the chaparral. The rescued man saw no more. His strength was completely spent. He had just enough left to stretch forth his arms, and with a smile closed them around the neck of his deliverer. Then, murmuring some soft words, he fainted gradually away. His syncope was soon over, and consciousness once more assumed away. Supporting himself on his elbow, he looked inquiringly around. It was a strange, sanguinary spectacle that met his eyes. Before his swoon, he would have seen a still stranger one. During its countenance, a horseman had ridden into the glade, and gone out again. He was the same whose hoof-stroke had been heard, and who had lent a deaf ear to his cries for help. He had arrived too late, and then, without any idea of offering assistance, his design appeared to be the watering of his horse. The animal plunged straight into the streamlet, drank to its satisfaction, climbed out on the opposite bank, trotted across the open ground, and disappeared in the thicket beyond. The rider had taken no notice of the prostrate form, the horse only by snorting as he saw it, and springing from side to side as he trod amidst the carcasses of the coyotes. The horse was a magnificent animal, not large, but perfect in all his parts. The man was the very reverse, having no head. There was a head, but not in its proper place. It rested against the holster, seemingly held in the rider's hand. A fearful apparition. The dog barked as it passed through the glade, and followed it to the edge of the underwood. He had been with it for a long time, straying where it strayed, and going where it went. He now desisted from this fruitless fellowship, and returning to the sleeper, lay down by his side. It was then that the latter was restored to consciousness, and remembered what had made him for the moment oblivious. After caressing the dog, he again sank into a prostrate position, and drawing the skirt of the cloak over his face to shade it from the glare of the sun, he fell asleep. The staghound lay down on his feet, and also slumbered, but only in short spells. At intervals it raised his head and uttered an angry growl, as the wings of the vultures came switching too close to his ears. The young man muttered in his sleep. They were wild words that came from his unconscious lips, and betokened a strange commingling of thoughts, now passionate appeals of love, now disjointed speeches, that pointed to the committal of murder. End of chapter 50